0: And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here. Today's episode of the show is brought to you by Ironswick Dogquip, who's our good friend Jason Furman. Irons- good friend? Good friend. Yeah, I like him. <laughs> <laughs> so Jason, through Ironswick Dogquip, is the importer and distributor of many products, including HF Mills, Herm Springer, and he has his own line of tugs and toys and sleeves and equipment called Dogpull. Yeah, he's got a lot of stuff. Yeah, pretty much anything. If you want any dog-related training gear, talk to Jason at Ironswick Dog quib The best way to do that is to look him up on Facebook. He can pretty much get you any dog gear you need at probably
1: the best price that can be gotten. He's a grumpy old bastard, but he's a good bloke. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to The Canine Paradigm. My name's Glenn Cook and joined in the studio is my co-host, Pat Stewart. Hello. What are we talking about today, Pat? Well,
0: there's a few different things I think we could talk about. It's mm-hmm. just us again. Yep. I was listening the other day. I don't always listen back to the episodes we do. Sometimes I do, but I wanted to listen to your rant. and uh, <laughs> We actually got some good feedback from the rant. Well, we got emotive feedback. Yeah. It, um, but I had an almost opposite experience the other day and I wanted to talk about that really quickly. Sure. What do you mean we had
1: emotive feedback?
0: Well, I guess you you trigger people. So, like, people who would agree with you would agree with you very strongly. It would compel them. Like, for people to write to us and say, that was a good episode, I had this experience as well. It's usually because it hits a a very specific point, I think. It's Mm. not that people then go oh, that was a great episode. I like the way they talked about that. It's just because it, they're really thinking about their experience in the moment. Like when you're explaining your experience with a out-of-control dog, yep. they're thinking about the time that happened to them.
1: Yeah, they're kind of akin to it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. The other thing to remember is that I guess people don't publicly speak about these type of things in a controlled forum as well. Mm. Like when they get onto social media outlets and or forums and start speaking about it and they get highly irate about it and you can see, I mean, I wasn't highly irate about it. I was annoyed about it at the time. I thought it was irresponsible and that's why I wanted to talk about it because I know that people are akin to those type of things. I know that yeah. people do get caught up in the moment and – they don't know how to discuss it. And one of the good points that came out of it as part of the feedback was somebody said, how do you talk to those type of people when mm. you're approaching them? Like, what is the approach method to bring that up or discussing it or helping people control it? So at some stage, we probably should talk about that in one of our podcasts as well. Mm.
0: Yes. Mm. And another good thing that came with, gave us a good opportunity to talk about the GRC and SR tests. And I know that stirred up a lot of interest in that because there's a couple of clubs good. starting in yes, Australia. Yes, there is.
1: Yeah, Jazz um, is kickstarting it.
0: Yeah. And yep. I got a few messages about coming to judge
1: trials, which is awesome. awesome. Yeah. So Excellent. That, that's good. Yeah. If anything, that pleases me more than the podcast itself, because that's a movement that really needs to spread well. Yeah. But what I wanted to do today was just present a little bit of the opposite side of the coin.
0: Mm. And there was something that you said in the podcast that I heard it at the time, but I didn't correct you, is you said, When I'm training my dogs, I go to areas where there's no other dogs around and and I train the dogs. Yeah, but you
1: go when there's dogs around too.
0: Yeah. So And I know you knew that, but I wanted to just explain something about Mm. where I train my dogs most of the time, right? And I am just super lucky in the area I'm in, there is mostly socially responsible dogs because the population density is so high Mm. that you just can't. If like I said, we've I think we've spoke about it on the podcast before. In my area, if you have a problem dog, you are a problem person. Yeah, and people will hound you out, and that's where like I get a lot of my work from. Not so much now because I'm more interested in competition and helping people achieve maximum from their dog rather than fixing problems with their dog. But yep. when I was starting out, this is a lot of what I was doing. Was you're just not welcome anywhere with a problem dog in in my area. Yeah, I live in the inner west in City, in in Sydney. And there's really, if you want to exercise your dog, there's precious few places you can do
1: that and they're off lead areas. And so you have to have a very social dog Mm. that can do that. To be honest, you'd have to be foolish to not put yourself into that scenario where you're taking your dog into a highly populated area at one stage. I mean, once you've got your dog's obedience under control and you have got engagement through good work, engagement through good work, I should say, what you then need to do is make sure that you are taking your dog into populated areas because if you don't, it's counterproductive to yeah, everything that you've just done. Yeah, The whole point to doing that is to teach the dog that no matter what, and this is part of what we do in PSA with all the can curtains, the bottles on the strings and everything that we're doing. The whole point that we're doing that is teach the dog no matter what happens, no matter what stimuli is present, don't break your stride. Mm. Keep engaged the whole time until I tell you otherwise. Yeah. So then there's two things just the other day. Now
0: I don't know whether I'm putting my own thoughts and emotions into what I witnessed and I God, I wish I was filming this, but I saw what I think was one of the, like the most beautiful interactions between a bunch of dogs I, I've seen in a long time. So I'm walking along, right? I've, so what I normally do is that when I go training my dogs, I go to the place I go to, which is a large, like it's a, it's numerous soccer fields and it's Callan park for anybody that knows Sydney. I train we train for like five or 10 minutes. Val runs around, does her own thing. Me and Remy train. And then we just go for a walk around the area. And he's just an off-leash dog running around doing his own thing. And all the, it's a totally off-leash area. Yep. Several acres of off-leash area. And there's dogs everywhere, people running around. And most dog walkers go there like it's packed full of dogs all the time. But it's a huge space. Good. I'm walking around in there. And there's this woman. She's got her pram. And she's texting someone. She was looking down. And she's got her dog, it's off leash, but it's hanging around near the pram. And my dog, Remy, Val's off to it, but doing Val stuff, right? Mm. Remy goes running over towards this pram and the dog, this other dog, guards the pram, mm. right? Comes out in front and really gave like what you would say was a, a defensive, aggressive posture towards Remy.
1: Do you he's, think the dog was guarding the pram? Well, I don't know. This is the thing. Like, it certainly looked like it, right? Mm. I know it looks like it. And this is a misconception that I think people have about their own dogs being personal protectors when the dog is never actually being taught to.
0: I reckon reading that situation, the dog was definitely like resource guarding the pram. Okay. I think that happens for sure. And it, so Well, the dog you were was there and I wasn't,
1: so... I, yeah, yeah. I,
0: I, I know what you mean. And a lot of people say, oh, he's protecting me. And it's like, no, he's scared. Yeah. But this dog was off leash and it gave like an aggressive... Did not like a, it didn't run at him and it didn't bark at him, but it postured like, hey, I'm not here to play in mm. front of the pram. And Remy stopped dead in his tracks. And the way he approached, the conversation looked to me, and I could be 100% wrong. I totally could be wrong, but it looked like as he arrived with this dog, the dog was like, hey, man, you can't come here. Right. And Remy goes, oh, that's all right. Like, I just wanted to come over and say hello. Right. Like, I'm not interested in your pram. Yeah, beat it
1: whoa i just try
0: (laughs) that's the first one hey i'm I'm taking it out leave it in you said it (laughs) so what happened was this dog like fronts him and is like hey you can't come here and remy goes oh like sorry mate i didn't mean to i'm not after your pram i don't really care they have because they're both males they have this odd little dance like both tail up walking around each other and then they decide oh it's cool right And so then they have this little game and they're playing together for maybe 10, 15 seconds. And then this other dog comes over and the dog that's now playing with Remy is like, oh, excuse me, I have to go take care of this. I can't let this guy near the pram. And he went off and gave the same posture to this other dog, but left Remy close to the pram, right? And the other dog's like, oh, I don't need this headache and left. And then this other dog came back and him and Remy were sort of hung out for a minute. And then the woman finishes sending her text and she pushes off the pram and the dog leaves in like a, basically in a pretty... Good, loosely like heel, but so he's all, all this leash. was
1: going on. She was completely oblivious. Yeah, she her. had no idea. Yeah, cool. She, but it, I mean, we're talking about like a 15, 30 second interaction. Yeah, but which the dog could take the baby out of the pram and run off to your car with it in that time. Yeah, but she's in front of the pram. She's, <laughs> stop trying to – I'm talking about how people
0: do good things know, all you want to do is talk about people being shit. So, to me, mm. it looked like a really cool little interaction where those yeah. dogs definitely – and, like, I could, I could totally have misread the situation, but that dog – Shame you didn't film it. I wish that I had it on film because that dog – I didn't know it was coming. He just was like, hey, you can't come here. And then realized, oh, you're not a threat. Like, there's nothing going on here. And Remy, you could see his body was like, hey, man, I just want to play with you. I mm. could give a shit about your Pram. I just want to say hello. And the dog's like, oh, okay. Like, totally relaxes his posture. New dog comes in. But what I really liked about it, and like I could totally have misread the situation. People probably go, this fucking dickhead doesn't know anything about dogs. But what happened was when he when this other dog went to give the same posture to another dog arriving, he left Remy like close to the pram, mm. so he was like, "I, right, you're in the, you're, you're in the, in the zone, you're in the tree, yeah. right? Like you're okay." And it just, I don't know why it. You're just the kind one of, Homer. We've already got yeah. one Homer. <laughs> <laughs> but it just kind of it stirred something up in me. I was like, "Oh, that's really cool." Like mm. I think that he just gave. My dog, his trust. He's like, okay, I get it. And I think for sure, like to go back to what you're saying before, like I think for sure, there's dogs that guard prams that are not fearful dogs. Like Val will guard a pram from other dogs. Like when when Rip was in the pram, she wouldn't. She would do the same thing. Mm. And she's not an aggressive dog, and she's not a fearful dog in any way. But she would not allow other dogs. She would. Heard them and push them and and even correct them a little bit if they got too close to the pram. She said she definitely
1: was, uh, protective or yeah. defensive over it. I I acknowledge that that does happen. I know that dogs do resource guard what they believe is their property. Mm-hmm. Um, they're smart enough and intelligent enough to do that. And this will probably lead into a good listener feedback if people are hearing this and you've had this scenario play out yourself or your dog or. Someone's dog that you know well, or a client's dog has actually resource guarded a pram and protected the child, or something like that. Tell us about it. The only reason that I say I don't know how a dog thinks about that, to be honest, and mm. you know, I don't think anyone truly knows what a dog thinks no. about that situation. The last podcast we did when we we're talking about me going out and doing a work with a client, one of the girls that was out there, the second lesson I did. The girl had a German Shepherd. I'm not paying her out because she came to me. She was one of those responsible people, et cetera, et cetera. So she came to me for the lesson and she said to me, you have to be careful of him. He will bite you if you get too close. I said, okay, well, let's test this. Because she said, the lead into this is she said to me, he's protecting me. Yeah. Because I baited it out of her what he actually did. Not in a bad way, but I said, look, you're in a safe zone. I'm not here to judge you. I'm here to help you. That's mm. my job. My job is to- I will talk about this on a podcast with several thousand people. Here we'll to- hear. <laughs> well, I'm not naming her. It, no one knows who she is. <laughs> the fact is, is, this is one of hundreds of dogs that I've done in the same situation, exactly the same situation, mm-hmm. where the same comment has been made. And this is a myth that needs to be dispelled. She said to me, yes, he bit someone, but he was protecting me. Mm-hmm. And I said, do you really believe that? And she said, yes. And I said, okay, take your dog off lead. And she said, "What?" And I said, "Take your dog off lead." And she said, "But you're exposed." And I said, "I'll take that risk. Take your dog off lead." And I said, "I'm not doing this to be a hero. I'm doing this to prove a point to you." And I said, "I wouldn't ask you to do this if I really believe that your dog was that badass or badass. I would say leave your dog on lead. I'm concerned." And I said, "Take your dog off lead." Mm-hmm. And she goes, "Are you sure?" And I said. Double sure. Take your dog off lead. So she took the dog off lead. The dog barked at me when I approached and then it ran around and hid behind her. Yeah. So you've seen that situation before. Yeah, all the time. Most other dog trainers who have been involved in aggressive management have seen this situation play out. And she was stunned. Like she looked at me and said, what's happening? I said, what's happening is the dog is looking to you for protection. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So he's not protecting you. He believes that when he's on lead that you're going to come in and jump in on the fight with him. That's why he's showing a bit of Dutch courage, okay? We just lost our Dutch audience. I'm (laughs) half Dutch, so that's kind of (laughs) – He's showing a situation where he believes that he's going to be backed up. And when that backup doesn't play out to plan, he's running for his life. Mm -hmm. And it's the old fight or flight situation. So he did. He just kept running around behind her back and he totally avoided me. Yeah. And she said, oh, my God, I really thought that he'd go for you. Like I thought he would. And I said, well, you've got to be pleased that that's not the case, that that's not the type of dog that you've got. Yeah. And I said- Your dog is more manageable now than a dog that enjoys biting people. And I said the fact that he doesn't enjoy biting people is a good thing. However, in saying that, we've also got to be careful with defensive dogs because they're also highly unpredictable dogs. Mm. It's a bit of a double-edged sword there. One, he doesn't enjoy biting people. But two, there's unpredictability when he will bite. And I said the reason he's not biting me is because I'm not your average Joe. I'm not one of your friends that comes in and then backs off and the dog approaches. The dog feels courageous about that and then advances and takes a bite and then backs off again. Mm. The problem here is that I'm not playing the game that he's expecting to play out. Mm. That's why I'm unsure about whether dogs protect prams or whether they- I think they do for sure.
0: Like I would agree with you that that's very hard to establish- and I know exactly the situation, I mean, I've had clients in exactly the same situation and people say all the time, well, oh, my dog's defending me and the dog is just looking for a way out mm. at, all, at all stages. And, and I think the sad reality is sometimes those people find out the hard way that when they don't give their dog a way out, say if they flood their dog, the dog bites them in order to achieve its escape, right? So if it's on lead and it's like, well, I can't escape and mm. I can face this overwhelming fear uh, and of say of six people. Uh, or I could bite one person, being you, and be out of here in a in a lickety split. So I've, I've had people find that out the hard way. I think definitely having experienced it with my dog who doesn't guard things, say Valerie, right, who's not aggressive, she's, ha- she's friendly, to, she's social with dogs, people, whatever. But when we had a new baby in the pram, she would guard the pram. And I've seen her guard, I've put up a video of it, of her guarding puppies doing the exact same thing. So things mm. that she decides that, Now that I think is very open for interpretation is why she's doing it is that's the motives behind that are difficult to understand whether it's like she thinks Mm. that it's, she feels an obligation to do it or whether she thinks that it's a resource that's hers or.
1: That's probably the point where I'm going with this question is what is it that the dog believes it's doing? Yeah. That's the nitty gritty where. If you're looking for the breakdown in that situation, is the dog contemplating there's a child in that pram, it's my duty as a guardian to that child, or is the dog thinking this pram is mine, it's part of my feel-good when I go for a walk, like when I'm walking? Yeah. There's a whole well, there's and I a think paradigm every dog, around that.
0: I think every dog would be different. I think mm. that every dog's experience would be different. But I know for sure. That's a good point. I know for sure with my dog that it was – rip in the pram i know for sure of that because she could give a fuck about the pram mm-hmm. and off lead she would do it she would not allow other dogs to come near the pram
1: what if rip was out of the pram yeah it was him she would she would so she wouldn't fit she wouldn't behave the same around the pram when, when nah, the baby was the, out the pram of. was no okay value. well that
0: yeah and i think there'd be loads of people dog training people people who really know what they're looking at when they sound yeah. behavior would agree that that's happened now why she's doing it I have no idea, but I know that she's doing it and it's not through fear. And it's not, well, it's not through, it's not because she's sketchy. There's definitely a reason she's decided. All
1: sort of protective behavior has an element of fear of something. Yeah. Fear of missing out or fear of losing. Yeah.
0: I always say that. Like all aggression is fear at its core. Hmm.
1: But I I wouldn't necessarily say that posting a guard is highly fear motivated or anything like that. There is a concern about yeah. What I'm going to lose if yeah. this situation doesn't play out to plan. That's the question I'd like to analyze a little bit more is that if there's a baby in a pram, what is the dog actually? What is the motive of the dog? Yeah. That's an interesting one.
0: Yeah. And like, I don't think you could ever establish that. And I think every dog would be different. Mm. As I say, in this scenario that I saw play out, that dog was not sketchy. He was off lead. He could have been anywhere he wanted to. And he was like, when he was playing with uh, Remy, he was running around. He had, he'd abandoned the idea of protecting the pram until another dog came up. And then he was like, Hey, uh, so like you could see the conversation, have to establish
1: the rules here. Dude. Yeah. He, mm. But you
0: could see I wish that I could have filmed it. And, because I was giving commentary. I was just shocked at watching it. And like it was like that dog said to Remy, hey, man, like what, they were playing. And then he goes, oh, I've just got to go take care of something. Mm. And he went over and basically shooed this other dog away from yeah, your Yeah, that's pretty cool. And then went back and-
1: I do wish you filmed it.
0: Yeah. It was just a real spur of the moment thing. I wish that I'd seen it, mm. uh, seen it coming. Because it was, like I say, knowing their motives, you could never really understand. And I, I know for sure there's people who think they've got a protective dog and they've got a, a sketchy dog. Yeah. But in that situation, it definitely looked like that. And it was one of the coolest things I think in in all the dog experiences and all the body language things I've ever seen. It was one of the best. And it, I don't know why it made me feel good. I don't know what i draw from that. Mm. But I just loved watching it. And it was like just the the moment when he left Remy closer to the Pram when he went out, it was like it was like, Hey, can you just just take care of this for me for I just gotta go do something? Can you just hold down the fort for me for a second? <laughs>
1: Well, we do know they're intelligent. And that like I said, that book that I've been reading, What It's Like to Be a Dog, is fundamentally outlining that dogs think more deeply than what we give them credit for. That MRI technology that they're yeah, they're being able to live scan brains of dogs when they're presenting certain type of stimuli to them. Yeah. Where I think Chad said it ages ago on one of the, the Canon Conversation podcasts was that we're up to date with current science and that's it. Mm. You know, like we're calling on what we currently know. Until we know better, then until that time, we just don't know what a dog is thinking. Like I said, dogs were considered seeing in black and white for so long. I was raised believing that dogs have black and white vision. They Mm. see in black and white. Mm. Well, that's dispelled. That is no longer evident. We actually know that dogs don't see in black and white. They see in a range of colors that's different than ours. But, I mean, they've got rods and cones in their eyes, which stipulate that they see in, a, in some sort of color spectrum. Just a different ratio Just to a different ratio. I'll see if I can find it somewhere. But you remember how people used to say
0: that dogs can't see TV? That's bullshit. Then, well, you know, they'd say, oh, dogs can't see TV. And then someone would say, well, my dog can watch TV. And then someone else will say, well, my dog has no effect on it. That used to be true, mm. but it's not true anymore. The old style TVs, the way that the light was put onto them, I can't remember all the details. I'll find the article that explained this as I read it. The, but the old style big box TV, oh the cathode TVs, yeah, like, a dog can't yeah. see that because the way the light spectrum works on that, it looks the same to you, but a dog
1: can't see it. Yeah, but the newer flat screen TVs, dogs can see. Okay, well, that makes um, sense. And there's because I watched my mum's dog running up to the TV when she sees a dog running around on the yeah, field, yeah. and she like she 100%. starts chasing it backwards yeah. and forwards.
0: That's right. And so you'd get old. Well, you hear older people who say like. 'Cause that was a fact, right? It was a fact that dogs can't see TV, but TV mm. technology, the way the light spectrum works, is now double. That can does see make it. good sense. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, science. Yeah, you've, there's an article somewhere on it, just, I'll find. You've just mind fucked us with science, Patrick. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um anyway, that's a it's a cool uh, fact to know. Mm. Like crocodiles being immortal. Okay, take off your lab coat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to sort of present the opposite side of the coin because my experience and I think that dog trainers get sort of bogged down. I know this gets talked about a lot in Mm -hmm. that your experiences with negative dogs. So people call you because the dog's got a problem. And so you're constantly seeing these problems because you brought him up, Chad. So I took him and Jay as well, when they were here on the same walk and they were almost like, Oh my God, I can't believe you're doing this. Like, Cause I was like, no, all these, do-, do you know that dog personally? No, but I know because of he's in this park, yep. he's, he's okay. And I think that we get this idea in our head that the dogs are, all dogs are going to be problematic and that we shouldn't socialize them freely. And you've got to be careful of this. And in, I just feel like that's not always the case in some areas and in some locations. And you know, that might be the case a hundred percent, but I think a lot of the time where I take my dogs, like I don't take my dog, you know, people talk about don't go to dog parks and all that. Right. Well, I don't have any option. If I want to take my, if I want to have my dog off-lead to train, which I want to do, I am only allowed to do that in an off-leash area where I can mm. get away with that. So I don't have an option. But what I don't go to is dog parks that are fenced in, right? Yep. So there's one near me. It's like my favorite place to take the dogs it, on Norton Street in Lycau, which is the main street. And they're allowed to have dogs off-leash in there. But two of the streets that attach attached to it are very busy roads and there is no fence, if you have a kind of dog that you have no control over, you can't go there. Mm. It's impossible, right? Oh, your dog's going to get hit by a car. Your dog's going to run off. So, there is no problematic dog Yet, there. there'll
1: be somebody that'll
0: test that metal. Yeah, I'm sure that happens, mm. right? But I don't play in the 1% negative. I don't want to control for for the outliers. I deal with the mass. And the majority of people there are awesome. And yeah. their dogs are social yeah, that's, and that's they're, they're great. And if they have a problem, they can call the dog back. Because those people who have that problematic dog cannot go to that park or their dog's going to get hit by a car. Mm-hmm. Down the street, there's a proper dog park that's fenced in. Now, that's a disaster zone waiting to happen. I don't go there. Yeah. Right? Okay. That's a yep. that's a disaster. Like, fenced in dog parks are, are a problem. Mm. But the the place where I was talking about, I train all the time, is this huge- If you don't have a rick on your dog, you, you're getting your dog back. It's yep. huge. He's going to run away. There's buildings and there's like a small bay, like a little harbour, like- you're going to lose your dog. Your dog's got plenty of things to go if you can't control them. Mm. So the reality is that most of
1: the dogs are really good. They're really- f- Hang on, you just said most of the dogs. Yeah,
0: well, of course, there's outliers. There's people who uh, just turn up for the first time and yep. let their dog off leash. That happens-
1: that, that always going to happen. My philosophy with that is plan for a good day, but take an umbrella anyway. Yeah. And usually when I do go for a walk in the dog park is that I do take an, a pop-out umbrella. So, basically, if a rogue dog approaches my dog, I just pop the umbrella out at the dog. So yeah. So, I shield my dog away from it. I don't. Um, I just go, go play with that guy for a while. Like, <laughs> I don't. Yeah. I don't like dogs charging into the face of my other dog. I don't think that's- Yeah, but I, I teach my dog to put up
0: with it. Like, there's videos of people kicking dogs in the face. So, if you're training your dog in an
1: area- where your I dog not kick is, the dog in the face.
0: No, but I've, we've we've both seen videos of people kicking other people's dogs in the face. So if your dog is off leash in an area, you're training it, and someone else has a dog that's off leash in the area, and their dog comes over to check out yours, mm. I feel like you have no right to interrupt that dog because it's off leash. Your dog's off leash. So if it's not an off leash area, they're only breaking the same law you are. Mm. And until their dog actually postures or displays some aggression, then- I don't think you're in the position to interrupt it. I think that you have to accept like, oh, well, this is it. You could ask the people, hey, we're training, we're doing whatever. But I don't think like grabbing your dog up and kicking the other dog is, is in my no, experience. No, no, ex- I
1: agree. It, it. I don't agree with, with that. What I do agree with is a mutual agreement between me and the owner of the other dog where we agree with each other that it's fine for our dogs to approach each other. Yeah. That way I have more control over what's going on. If the other owner is there and a situation breaks out, we're both there to resolve it quickly rather than a dog just come charging out of nowhere with the owner miles away from the dog with the dog under no control. That sort of situation I disapprove of. Mm -hmm. I don't approve of that type of thing. I think that's reckless and irresponsible and I think people really need to rethink that strategy. I have no problem with dogs approaching. Would you just let rogue children come running around and playing with Rip? You probably would. Yeah, of course I would. Other parents don't like that sort of stuff. They like it being agreed on that. Yeah, sure, you can you can hang out and you can play. The other parent is there, stuff like that. That's
0: not how it works. Like no. when you're at, a, if you take a kid to a playground, the kids just run around.
1: Yeah, but the parents are there, and it's a it, it it's in a in approved environment. They're not just well, I don't know. I'm like never...
0: when I take my dog to an off leash area and yeah. I unclip him, it's a the owners are there, and
1: it's an approved environment. Are you within reach of the dogs, like? Are you like hands reach or no? Not not within hands reach, but when you're in that environment, are you close by your dogs? Always, yeah. But there's situations where it's not like that, and they're they're the ones that I don't approve of. Is that when a dog comes thundering in from miles away, and all of a sudden you're sitting there doing with something with your dog, and there's a dog coming charging in at yours. How yeah. do you know what the intentions are? Well, you don't. But I would say,
0: in my experience, where I'm doing this. of the time,
1: the dog's intentions are, there's a dog I want to play with it. Mm -hmm. And they I haven't been that lucky with some of the encounters that I've had in the past, which is why I disapprove of it. I've been to dog parks before, and I've let my dog off lead, and I've let my dog play with a group of of dogs that I approve of, with people that I know are responsible, and they've got good dogs, and I know that their dog is not going to stack or posture over the top of my dog, and vice versa. And we let... Play happen. We just let random play happen. We let them chase balls. The dogs scuffle amongst themselves. You know, it's just a argument over who's getting the ball and so forth. But I know that's not going to go anywhere other than a bit of argy bargy. Yeah. However. I would not, I would not personally approve of a dog coming charging and running down out of nowhere where the owner is like a dot in the background.
0: Yeah, but that's not the situation I'm explaining. That's problematic. But if you're in an off-leash area and someone's walking past and their dog is coming over to see your dog. The environment that you're you're playing out, it sounds fine. Okay, like you're saying. But that's what I'm saying. There's places where that. Can happen, and mm. and because it's usually some sort of environmental factor in that it's in an area where people have been socializing their dogs since very young. Mm. People in this area. So this is what I say. This is what I mean as well. And like, if your dog, if there's a fight, if there's a dog fight, obviously that's a very uncommon event. But people don't take that shit right, like because you can't be there. You've broken the the. The contract, right? Like there's a social contract of you can only come into here if your dog is gonna be cool with it, right? So in a long way round, we're actually in agreement with each other. Yeah, we're not yeah, we're agreeing on the thing. I just think that it's important that because I used to always, before I was really into dog training, you'd listen to things like this or, or see training videos and people would just be flat out like, you can never go to a dog park if you want a highly trained dog. And then you'd see people like, oh, my dog was rushed by another dog off lead
1: and and now he's fucked. The, the, the dog's ruined, I can't fix the dog. It's the uncontrollable situation. Your dog might be fine and under effective control at all times. The problem is, is if the rogue dog grabs your dog, That's a problem that that will fuck your dog. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Then your dog will start to be thinking in this situation when a dog rushes me. And this creates a heightened reactivity from the dog where the dog is thinking.
0: Yeah, I I agree. Yeah. But the problem is, like I said, before I was into dog training and was getting into it, right? And people say, you can never go dog parks. Well, I'm like, well, I don't have anywhere else to go. Mm. What am I going to do? I live in the city. Like the only places where I can, if I want to have my dog off leash, the only place I can do that is places other people are allowed to do that. So now I'm stuck in this catch 22, right? I can never go, I can't follow the rules and never go to a dog
1: park because I want a highly trained dog.
0: Mm. But how am I meant to do that when I don't have a
1: place to do it? I'm all about social interactions with dogs. I mean, our kennels here are social boarding. Yeah. We've got two, three dogs in the large kennels that are from different families, which are all approved and all signed off on. Yeah. And our staff here do a brilliant job of matching dogs. That's a chance we've got to take. Touch wood, 999 times out of 1,000, we rarely have a problem with dogs hitting on each other Mm -hmm. because the staff monitor them well. These are dogs that have never met each other, but they're social dogs same sort of environment that you're talking about in the park they're living together they're sleeping together the staff are monitoring their eating like they when they feed them obviously they do lockouts and mm-hmm. keep dogs away from resource guarding we don't put resources in there for the dogs to guard over or anything like that mm-hmm. they then go out and play together and then we'll introduce large groups where the dogs can actually go out and socialize together mm-hmm. so we're we're all about social interaction we promote it we inf- we encourage it we try and push it on the, the owners. Like there's been owners in here before that said, oh, I'm not really sure how he's going to go with other dogs. Two weeks later, they've got up to 10 dogs that they've been socializing with. And mm-hmm. they go, oh, that's fantastic. Terrific. I'm all about it. It is absolutely necessary. Again, it's to quote our, our close personal friend, uh, Dr. Jordan Peterson. <laughs> what do you want to do? Do you want to make them safe or do you want to make them strong? Yeah. Well, that's sort of where I was going out with a. Like So I've posted videos on my
0: Instagram. You can check out my Instagram. I, I don't have a personal one. It's just called I'm Remco the dog on Instagram. But I've got videos of him healing while other dogs are barking in his face Yeah, uh, because I've taught him to do it. And we get rushed all the time. Never has he been properly attacked, but yep. we get dogs running up to us because mm. they want to engage with him and because he's so – you know, there's so much energy coming off of him, dogs want to run over and check it out. Sure. But it's never once caused us an issue. And, mm. in fact, I – I actually seek out those situations because, like in PSA, we have to heal around decoys. Well, I don't yeah. have decoys every day, but what I do have is is annoying dogs that are barking, trying to kill my dog. Yeah, so I can. Yeah. it's a distraction for me.
1: Yeah, competing but work stimuli with working dogs. It ha- it must. It's a must be.
0: Yeah, but yeah. I work through it. That's the thing. You've got to expose, expose, expose. Like if you're if you never take your dog out, and then you've got nice healing, and you practice that in a vacuum, and then you go mm. somewhere, and your dog does get rushed. Then you're gonna have a problem, right? Like yep. I, I get that, but I try hard to not let that become a, the the case. Like I want my dog to learn. Yeah, there's other dogs around. You can play with them. I know you like to do that. Mm. If if they do, but he does. But first, you have to do this. Yep. And and the, he would prefer to do that. He would prefer to play with me than them, for sure. Mm. I've got a video. I'll put it up with this. Like I've got when there's a bunch of dogs on the field, maybe, you know, 20 dogs all running around and we're training to the side. And then when I'm finished training, I go, we're finished. He just runs away. Yeah, it's good. That's that's what I try and tell people. That's like your NQ Mm. is he's like, okay, you're dead to me. Like you told me that we're done. Like I'm out of here. I'm going to go do the other thing. I would rather stay here. I would rather be doing the game with you, but I've got friends over there waiting for me. I'm happy to go play with
1: them. Yep. I have the opposite with Randy, who is just a bumbling fucknut around other dogs. (laughs) And he creates problems because this is when he's out of work mode and he's in free mode. All he wants to do is ground and pound other dogs. Mm. Like not in an aggressive manner. He's just like, love me. Yeah. Like he jumps on top of him and he wants to be loved. And and then he can't understand it when another dog wants to punch his lights out. Yeah, yeah. So I have to teach him you can't do that. You You can't play that enthusiastic so he i've got a video where he's playing with ladybug and she goes in the yard with him and he all he wants to do is love her and he just goes to um jump on top of her and she goes to smash his lights in (laughs) so i'll put that video up as well because it's i have to actually interact and tell him off for it because he just randy is like a big baby yeah a big powerful baby that just doesn't know his control mechanisms with other dogs well i think that's
0: That really brings up the main point is every dog is different. Yes, every dog is different. And you can shape and mold their personality to an extent, but they are who they are. Mm. Like, so, you know, I've got two dogs. Remy quite enjoys playing with other dogs. He likes the chasing games. You know, he'll chase other dogs around. He likes to be chased. He likes to chase. All those things are second to work. He'd much rather work. He'd rather work for me. Yep. Yep.
1: But, that's a great thing.
0: Yeah. and the, mm. But like say Valerie, for example, she could give a fuck about other dogs. Like she's not interested. She might, like if a dog approaches her, she's social. She'll check it out, whatever. But she's not, she doesn't seek out the game with other dogs. She doesn't, that, she doesn't source to play with them.
1: When we were looking for detection dogs, that's exactly what we we're looking for. And yeah. that's what we tested for. So every time, like, I mean, I used to go out and test hundreds of dogs. Part of the first criteria was, we'd throw a ball down near a group of dogs and watch how the dog retrieved the ball. Like, did the dog go down and get the ball and then drop it and then go over to the other dogs? Mm-hmm. Did the dog go down and get the ball and then stay down there with the other dogs? Mm-hmm. Did the dog go down and get the ball and then piss on a tree with in front of the other dogs? Yeah. Or did the dog race down there, bowl the other dogs out of the way like 10-pin balls? And then come flying back up the field and give the ball back to you. Yeah, yeah, So that was, I mean, the end criteria is the one we were looking for. Is that the one the dog wasn't stimulated by the presence of the other dogs at all? Like, good, give a fuck. Yeah, that's what we're hoping for when we're doing the dog because we can't afford. I mean, in those sort of situations, we can't afford to have a dog that's distracted and yeah. wants to engage in other dogs. We basically want to go like, here, hold my beer.
0: Yeah, that's a good. That's a sort of good one to talk about. I think a lot of people when they are Dealing in uh, reinforcers, like if your dog doesn't find the reinforcer, that reinforcing when it's available, like if you go, here's the ball mm-hmm. and they go, I'd rather check out that dog, there is zero chance of them working to get the ball while in the presence of another dog, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's there's just a zero chance of that happening. Um, and people think, oh, like he's got good ball drive, like in a vacuum. <laughs> it's like, no. It's got to be obsessed. It's, it's got to be. be It's got
1: to be it's got to be all or nothing with that dog. Yeah. Like it that dog should be should run through a window to get yeah. the ball. Doesn't matter what the obstacle is in the, in the dog's way, the dog should never ever choose anything but the ball. Yeah. And that these dogs will they are let's like valleys with dust and shadows. They're yeah, obsessed yeah. by it. Yeah. You know, like the dog just has no well it just gives zero fucks about everything else in the environment and says I just want the work. I just want the reward. Yeah. I remember Mike Suttle did a really good
0: demo of that. Like he gave the dog at one of the seminars, gave the dog the reward, gave it the ball and then told it to get on the table and Mm. it's dropped the ball to get on the table. And he just said, there's no chance of this dog getting on the table in order to find a scent that could lead to the reward. If he's not even going to carry the reward up onto the table. Yep. So he's not suitable. Just what right. was oh, That's that's really um, that's a good test. Very simple, easy test mm. along the lines of what you're saying.
1: Well, it's a criteria that has to be adhered to because if the dog will give up that easy, then it's like what Bart was referring to a while ago when we were in Florida and we we're chatting with him. You know, like he says, it's they lose the enjoyment of the work mm. and then they go back into that. Oh, I sort of want to play mode. Yeah. Well, that's not the right type of dog for a job. Uh, yeah. That's not the right dog for the job. Yeah. It's like commando criteria. Certain people just won't make it into the commandos. How many people apply? <laughs> many. How many get through? Not many. That's right. Yeah. Because there's criteria that has to be adhered to in order for them to get through that criteria pass. Yeah. Otherwise, anybody could get through it and then you'd have the wrong type of people in that unit. Yeah. The
0: funnel on that, have I ever told you the numbers for that? No. So, this is very rough numbers and this is from- this is, this data was from like 2009 and 10 when I was at the school. Mm. So you get about from all of defense, this is for just commando selection, SAS would be similar as well, probably even higher rate, but uh, you get about 300 odd people apply, mm. right? From within defense. Then about 150 of those get through what's called a paperboard, like just by their record, get yep. to a try. About 120 odd will turn up for selection about 30 will pass selection and about a year and 18 months later 15 to 20 max will actually be commando so you go from all of defence to 300 people gets cut down to about 20 so it's a pretty it's a there's a lot of it's uh, grueling
1: yeah well but, but it but, needs to be
0: but it's the same thing and it's it's really just narrowing down personality type. It would be heaps easier if you could just go here, hold this ball and get on a table. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, but yeah. it's not. No. Well, it's
1: like specialists in uh, doctorates. Yeah. We don't see like a glut of specialists because these are people who, they're GPs that go on and practice and they are the best. In most cases, they're the best of the best. Yeah. They're people who specialize and push themselves to a limit to want to learn something at a, at a much high, higher criteria. Yeah. So anyway, that's
0: my my spiel. Went yep. around in circles from me talking about the situation I found myself in watching my dog interact with another dog. Mm. Um, and like I say, I think there's some really interesting info on what's going through a dog's mind when they do guard and stuff. Yep. Talking about commandos since you brought it up, like it that's where I get my idea that aggression is always founded in fear. I'm really interested to hear your when you, we do we're doing a Patreon mm-hmm. um thing on aggression, which will be I guess like a the cliff note version of your seminar that you do on that. Yes. And I'm, always, I'm really interested to see, because I haven't been to that and I haven't heard you talk about it much other than us just talking.
1: Well, I haven't been actually done it a lot. I've done it a few times, but the, the big one that I did and the represent that I, I did was in Melbourne for the German Shepherd Club. Yeah. We got a great turnout for that. From all the feedback I've got, it was very well received. Yeah. The only negative feedback that I got was probably that, few people thought that I could have done a little bit more practical, mm-hmm. but I was there for six hours. Yeah, 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 So, it was like start at 10 and finish at 4. Yeah. So, I mean, I would have preferred it to be in a two-day seminar so we could actually talk about it because there's a heap of theory. Mm. This is one of those topics, like many topics when you're talking about – it's like the problem is, and this is a segue into uh, leading into the session that we're going to do, is it's like let's say, for example, you're morbidly obese, mm-hmm. okay, and you go to the gym. Now – you're not going to do one session and any instructor worth their salt is not going to turn around and you say, man, look at you after one session, you're shredded. <laughs> you You know, shredded. That's not how it works. Yeah. So in any situation, especially aggression or psychology or anything like that, when you're talking about a particular behavior, this is like the dog that came to see me the other day. All it was, that first session, even though we had a great session, even though we had a great outcome, and I was playing with the dog, I even put up a... On my Instagram, I put um, the dog playing with the skateboard with me. Mm -hmm. This is the dog that came in and barked at me. As soon as I walked in the room, he lunged forward and barked at me and Mm -hmm. postured and everything like that. The result was at the end, he was playing with me, and then he came over to me and put his head under my arm and bumped my arm. Look, I knew that was going to happen. There's a myriad of times that this happens in the kennels. Mm. There's a box that I've got on my phone right now, which I might put that video up as well, where he was lunging and barking and smashing at the cage gate, And he's a known biter. He bites people quite regularly. Again, it's not a call out on the dog or the owners. It's identifying a problem, something that we actually need to fix. But we all walked in the kennels with him. I took the dog out and took him for a walk. Within 10 minutes of going into the kennels, just doing a few little exercises with him, put his mind at peace then he realized well you're not the threat that i believed you to be Mm -hmm. but anybody else that walked up to him even one of the other staff members once i had him out there she came through a gate walked towards the dog not realizing before i said anything he then postured and started barking and went for her. yeah okay so in those sort of situations every new experience is an experience
0: my personal stance on this is that aggression can always be unpacked to fear. And yeah, it's, and, it's and a, I would agree with you. It's a fear of something. Now, it yeah. might be fear of like personal safety or- But we won't talk too much about this because we're going to do a whole session yeah, yeah. on it. True. true, so. true. But as I was saying, when you talk about selection for commandos, like I have known some fucking savage killers in my life who are the least aggressive people you'll ever meet. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean- So that's where, that's where people sort of get it, their mind sort of caught up. Like you look at some of the K M P V dogs that are legit- See people as prey, right? Yeah. Like, but, but that's the thing—they see people as prey. There's, there's no they fear like, in that. Yeah, but
1: yeah, that's all they like. Predation is it. not aggression. Yeah, predation exactly. is not aggression. This is a misconception of yeah. people—is that they they often believe. See, predatory um, predation has actually been listed as predatory aggression mm. because people believe that the dog is is being aggressive in the mode, but it comes from a different region of the brain. Mm it's a necessity of survival. Yeah. So I mean a dog is not thinking I'm I'm angry at you, I'm going to kill you. The dog is thinking I need to survive. Yeah. This is just part of That's it.
0: And and yeah. that's what I talk about. Like that's for me when I talk about aggressive dogs I could tell stories that are certainly not appropriate for podcasts from guys I know who are like capable of and have done the most savage, horrific things without a mean bone in their body. Like, because it, it's just they're not aggressive people, they're not, but they're also not scared of anyone or anything. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They're like, this is the job and this is what has got to be done. Well, I wouldn't say
1: they're not scared of anything because everybody is scared of something.
0: Yeah, well, it would probably uh, – it would certainly wouldn't be of a personal fear. It would be like over their family or That's whatever. That's right. Yeah. But,
1: but everybody is scared of something. Yeah. I mean, one thing that was told to me years ago, which – When I first got into dog training, I didn't really believe it. But somebody back then, one of the people that I was training dogs with way back when, said to me, every dog can be backed down. And I didn't believe it at the time because I'd seen some pretty hard-ass dogs back then. I mean, back then in those days, some of the dogs that we actually had were were quite strong, which was, and some of them, a lot of them were quite fearful as well. But Mm -hmm. some of the dogs were actually really tough dogs. And a few of the dogs that I saw, I thought, there's no way you could back this dog down. But I actually saw times when the dog was in doubt. You could actually see the dog sitting there and and contemplating, this is not going my way. I'm not comfortable with how this is playing out. Mm -hmm. I'm looking for an escape route now. And when you look at that, when you see that in a dog for the first time, you think, wow, it's true. You know, if it doesn't go all the way of the dog, then the dog thinks, well, I'm looking for a back door on this now.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I guess that self-preservation kicks in at some point.
1: It has to. Yeah. We've got an entire podcast that we're going to do on that aggressive. Yeah, yeah, and that's uh, a, on, the, on the topic of discussing a month after yeah. or something. Mm-hmm.
0: But I guess to, to tie up like what I was talking about, I I just wanted to put out there that dog parks and engaging with your letting your dog engage with other dogs is not always the devil, and provided the environment is correct, then I like I feel like you need to exactly as you said, you need to be prepared for the outlier, but don't expect it. Like we always say in the military because we've talked about a couple of times already that you got to have, there's a most dangerous course of action and most likely course of action. Right. Mm-hmm. And so your plan, so when you go out, you have to be prepared for the manage your risks. Well, you, your plan should be the most likely course of action. Like what's, mm. what's going to happen, but it should be able to deal with the most dangerous course of action. And so when I go out, like I,
1: I have Plan for a good day, but take an
0: umbrella. Well, I don't take an umbrella. I I, I often carry a whip, but that's because I'm doing healing stuff. But I've never used it in a way like to fend off another dog or anything. I've Mm. fended off a plover with it, and that's about it. We just lost the plover clip.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Man, they they go your heart. Mm. I don't think people, I don't know if people in the United States or some of the other countries realize the fear of an impending magpie or a plover attack. Yeah. Like in September, we traditionally have these mad birds that just come swooping down and smash you in the back of the head. Yeah. There's videos that you can actually look up on YouTube. We might put some up just to show you the savagery of these beastly birds that come down like raptors out of the sky. stupid birds. But people laugh about it and they think, oh, yeah, what can they do? But they can- Crack yeah, the back go, of your yeah. head open. Yeah. yeah, they really um Or
0: if they like if they hit you square on, it you could lose an eye for sure. Oh yeah, yeah. There'd be people they would have surely we can find an example of someone that's had their eye pulled out by a magpie. There
1: has to be, right? <laughs> there has to be. Someone can find that for us. There has to be. I've actually got a video on my phone where I had the Frenchie puppies out in the backyard and the plover swooped them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We're dangerous plovers. They go yeah. They, yeah, like but they really like just in, they almost no self preservation. Like yeah, I've been nailed by themselves. a plover before when yeah. I was a kid. So that's all I've used my whip for. Yeah, put a beat down on a bird. <laughs> but from my point of view, because I don't have any option of taking a dog out into public places where they get exposed to other got a dogs. Few plovers. Uh, no, I'm not scared of them. Well, just let it hit you then. Well, I'm not going to allow that <laughs> to happen. But you just have to build a strong dog that is that outlier from my point of view that outlier like my dog could be bitten and it has happened in extreme circumstances where you get a dog that's too much but it doesn't wreck the dog right because he's like oh well that's one in a million that i experienced so that's not that's the outlier and he can he can identify that or just doesn't the experience isn't so bad that it it causes him any lasting damage Mm. he just gets over it and i'm not like allowing my dog to go and get in fights i'm not encouraging that he should seek out dangerous situations but i'm saying that I, if I want to exercise my dog, if I want to take him out, if I want to leave the house, he's going to experience other dogs. And I live in an area where I can't avoid that. That That's definitely going to happen. Like in my street, there's everybody, almost everybody owns a dog. And so even if you just walk out the front door at the same time as someone else, like you're going to experience a dog. It's impossible not to.
1: I'm with you on this. I'm not fighting you on this topic at all. I'm suggesting that I've seen it play out differently. Um, yeah. I've had, without sounding arrogant or rude or disrespectful i've actually had more experience in it where i've seen not in my area you haven't not in not, your area that's not, true not in no, places where people true. raise their dogs the way that that's true I'm talking about no you've you've got one up on me on that one and I, I i wouldn't debate that because that would be a lie so i haven't been to your area i've never taken a dog out there the areas where i have taken dogs to 90 percent of the time it will be fine 10 percent of the time there's a problem and the problem is is that it's It's like I mentioned in the show last week where you get the person who lets their ambitions get mixed up with their capability. Yeah. And they bring that dog down that they have – it's like the lady that came to the – to the cafe that I was at last week. Mm-hmm. She, she just had no idea what she was doing with her dog. Mm. And it was clearly evident with the way she was lacking management in control of that dog. Mm-hmm. And she'd just say, oh, he gets excited with other dogs. Yeah, sure, cool. And these people that come down the dog parks that I've been to, same sort of thing. Oh, he just gets really excited. Like I've said to you before, I don't want these dogs hidden from public. That's no good for the dog. I want the dog to understand how to be controlled in public environments. So all I'm saying for these type of people, and this is the hard message, and this is the one where somebody suggested, how do you speak to these people? All right, well, let's quickly talk about that. I think the way that you speak to these people is the way that you, you sometimes need to speak to a child. Okay, They need to be sat down and it needs to be explained to them, not in an aggressive manner. You said that in the last podcast as well. People don't want a, a beat down on how bad they were and how shit their behavior was, but they actually need to know what the impact of their dog is going to be yeah. and what the impact is going to be for them when the council comes after them. Yeah, People don't realize how intrusive or how invasive it is when you've got a council officer or a animal management officer standing at your door telling you that they're going to take your dog away from mm. you, I can tell you what it's like because I've helped defend people like this before. Andrew Clark can tell you what it's like because he's helped defend people. You may have, have you? No, nah, okay. never. When you're talking about what people are frightened of, I've seen people who are quite stoic in their behavior until that happened. It feels like somebody has reached in and pulled their heart out of their chest, like their husbands, wives, husbands and wives and children are crying and howling and they are just beside themselves. Like they they are almost inconsolable because they're facing the fact that they've been told that they may never get their dog back again. They're in a situation where it's definitely going to be legally pending. So they have to find legal representation. Mm -hmm. They have to go to court. There is a whole range of fines, prosecution, disruption to their life that's basically going to unfold in front of them. So basically what unpacks in front of them is basically a shit storm. Mm -hmm. So this is that person who lets their ambitions get mixed up with their capabilities. They take that dog down to a dog park. Their dog goes flying down, nails somebody else's dog, and the people in your area who you're saying aren't going to put up with that shit, someone reports them to council.
0: Yeah, well, that's exactly – well, I think – I don't know in where, like where I'm living whether people them to council people just blow up at them and make it pretty clear they're not welcome and can't come back. I, I don't know. I don't know how that. That's probably a mix of both.
1: It seems to be that we live in a society where we dob to authority more than as a community solves the problem. Mm. And what I would what I would prefer to see is that we impose that that person has to go to a qualified and authorised training school or a trainer, mm. okay, basically rather than the council get involved and just turn this into a shitstorm and a public liability issue where they've got a safe face and be seen to be doing something or then they're liable as well. I mean, look, I know AMOs and good ones as well, you know, very fair people. Mel Isaacs was fantastic when she was – working as an AMO officer in Wollara. Mm-hmm. She did a great job and she was very very fair to people and very diligent. Andrew Clark is the same sort of person. He's not that he wasn't that sort of person who swooped in and just tried to turn people's lives upside down. It was like many of the police officers that you and I know. There's an attitude test that people pass mm-hmm. and you know, they basically see that you're a good person, they they give you another chance. Mm-hmm. And many people are like that in those type of environments. Of course you get your your rogue officers who just seem to enjoy it or get a kick out of it, and that's that's wrong. They shouldn't be employed and they shouldn't be continuing to serve in that role. Once these people are on your doorstep, they're there to cause some grief, and they often do. Where I'm trying to get to with this is I would like to see it where this actually doesn't happen. What I would like to see is that, that instead of the dog facing death row and all these dangerous dog legislations that happen, I would rather say that, okay, well, yeah, until – your dog is under effective management, then you can't go to dog parks and you can't go yeah. um, to these places until we can see that you have attended a level, until that we can see that the, the situation has been effectively managed and strategized by yourself and by a training coordinator of, of a skill set.
0: Well, in my experience to see that, I see that a lot and it sort of takes care of itself a little bit. In my experience, because what happens is people have like, say people that walk their dog, just they go to the dog park and let the dog play with other dogs. They tend to do that same time every day, right? Yep, yep. Because it fits their work schedule. So they're friends with all those people and it becomes a pretty good social Circle people have like dog park friends, right? Yeah, their dogs all hang around together and they talk and whatever. And you, like, in my experience, I know that there's people who say, Oh, that's the worst part that people aren't even paying attention to dogs, but in my experience, it's quite good. And I've been a part of those circles for sure, right? And most of the time, it works out great. A lot of the work that I get is people who have, their dog has caused a problem and now they're outside the social circle. So they're, the punishment to them is that like- Ostracization. Yeah, yep. they can't be in the group. And mm. a lot of the time these people say to me, like the goal is to get the dog back to that because the dog's had an experience, whatever's happened, like he's attacked one of the other dogs or barked or whatever, yep. right? And they are, they, when I say, okay, so what do we want to, like what's the end goal? Is it like we want to be able to walk him in the park again with our friends? Yep. And they often say his friends. And I say, you got to remember like- they're your friends. Your that's your goal, mm-hmm. right? That's what you want to get back to. With well, the goal, the dog perhaps doesn't want to do that. We don't know. What we'll see. But that's your goal. But that's like doesn't need any council or government or whatever intervention. People, once you're outside the clique, like you develop, you have fun with these people. You like them. You're involved in each other's lives because you all live in walking distance of the place you're at. Yeah. You then, once people are like, well, fuck you, you can't come anymore. You're outside the group because your fur baby your fur baby, is hurting my fur baby, right? It, that is a huge punishment to people. That's a social punishment that's significant, right? Jeez, that sounds
1: like a training platform. Yeah, exactly. Where, right? as long When you don't exactly. play the, the rules, you get kicked out of the social circle. Yeah,
0: exactly, right? Mm. Negative punishment. But that's very powerful. And that's the motivator I see a lot of the time mm. when people are like, hey, my dog, did something that has caused us to be removed from the circle and we want back in the circle. What what have we got to do to get back in? But that's a type that's a personality type as well of people that are wanting to interact with people. They're not the kind of people that just unclip their dog and it goes running around. Mm. But as I say, I feel like that person and that dog are outliers. Are what? Are outliers. Like they're not the norm. Okay. Like if you get your dog, I just feel like I don't know, I just I just don't think it's that hard to have a social dog, particularly if the dog is – you get it as a puppy, right – if you socialize it correctly, you take it out and around. You see, well, you, see you see people all the time that they're, they're out with it. They have their dog. They're at the cafe. They're having breakfast. They're giving the dog little bits of food from under the table. Now you might think they're spoiling the dog, but they're training the dog. The value's here. Mm. Don't don't be out running around. Just chill out under me, and I'll trickle bits of food to you. Right. So there's value in staying here. They walk around with their dog. They take it everywhere. They had the dog has all these positive experiences. If you do that, if like when people raise their dogs correctly, the they're killing it, right?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, dogs have been doing this for hundreds of years and they've actually been doing it without our intervention at yeah. all. I mean, you know, wolf packs form, families are formed. Yeah. I mean, herds of wild horses, wild buffalo. Yeah, I mean, they managed to survive. I mean, sure enough, there's the odd few that will beat the shit out of each other or yeah, there's a bit of disharmony there or, you know, nature plays its way out. It's got a end solution to its game. I've got a friend who's got this Kelpie, right? It's a really good dog.
0: Proper farm dog because it was from his parents' farm. Great dog in every way, except it tends to turn around and bite his lead and wants to, like, it doesn't like to be on lead. Yeah. Right. And I've told him there's many, stra- he hasn't done any of the things to fix it. Right. So that's, that's, but it's not that big an impact. It just, every now and again, but when they're 100 meters from where the dog knows it's getting off lead, it turns around and nails the lead and just fights him for a little while. Right. Dog enjoys it. He kind of has a little laugh about it, but can be a pain in the ass. One day we're in the car and we're in I think Surrey Hills or somewhere and there's this like junkie homeless guy on the side of the street walking down the street and he's got his dog very similar looking Kelpie and the Kelpie is just a dream right like hanging out with him like walking down the street and he's off lead he's like waiting across the street in front of us the lights go green him and the dog walk across the street together like just in perfect harmony right And he goes mm. how is it this junkie can have a better trained dog than me and I was like because he takes that dog everywhere, everywhere. and mm-hmm. he spends all of his time with that dog yeah that's how you see people like homeless people and...
1: Yeah, some of those street dogs are just amazing, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, because their the socialisation
0: really, is through the roof. Yeah.
1: They're out there all the time and there's no value in... But in, then again, that dog doesn't survive if it doesn't behave that way because it gets run over by a car. Exactly. So it's... um There's probably a selection process in there as well. Yeah. Mm. yeah.
0: <laughs> but this is the thing. So I just don't... Like, there's not a one-size-fits-all for how you've got to treat dogs and where you should take dogs and how you should... But the, it all boils down to positive social experiences and making the dog fit correctly
1: into your life and being able to do that and putting in the work to do that. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. I mean, I like the fact that my dogs are social, but I don't see the need. I don't have the need to go to a dog park. No, exactly. Cause I you, mean, I live at a dog park pretty yeah, much.
0: You live on six acres or whatever. I live Australia. on six
1: acres. There's anywhere between um 100 to 300 dogs in my backyard, depending on the time of the year. Yeah. So um, I'm – I've got dogs here all the time. My dogs are around dogs. There's dogs here all the time. Yeah. So I live on a postage stamp. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so so I don't have that option. But we, we see plenty of dogs. The long and short of it is that you enjoy your social interactions out in the dog park. I, I don't like going to dog parks personally because I don't trust that 10% of people that come down there. I've been down to dog parks in the past. I all I think that in your situation, I think it's an absolute necessity. I really do. I think people that live in those inner city hubs where they've got like a small allotment of land and they need a place for their dog to go and socialize, absolutely I endorse it. For me, I don't need it and I won't go there. Mm. However, the long and short of it again is that you and I both agree – in a roundabout terms that one of the most important things is having a social dog in all environments. So it doesn't matter where you are and what's happening. Your dog is under effective control and management at all times. Whatever stimuli is present that your dog ignores it, it doesn't see it as a competing stimuli and then just triggers out a behavior and says, well, I'm not doing it because there's a dog present. That's no good. That sort of situation always needs to be addressed in every situation that we're in, In if you're doing a dog sport, if you own a dog. And- if we had better strategies like that in place, well, then people like Amy Sadler wouldn't be so inundated with dogs in pounds across America mm. all, and in Australia as they are. I mean, dogs in pounds tend to be such a overwhelming statistic at the moment. Landfill is filled with the carcasses of dead dogs. I know that sounds a bit harsh to people, but the, it's a reality. It's a reality because- We've got so many people that just aren't paying attention to those type of things. They're not getting their dogs out. They're not They're not keeping the dog engaged and stimulated yep. and undistracted by the presence of other dogs. Yep. Or they're not even getting out there during that critical period and letting the dog that's learn it. how Get to. That's it, the dog out there. Yeah.
0: And some people miss that window. They don't have the dog if they got an adult dog from rescue, don't know the history or whatever. But Yeah,
1: but somebody did. Yeah, exactly. Somebody did. That's, exactly. the, that's the calamity of it is that yep. somebody did have that dog and the information or the ability to have that dog better socialized during that critical period was available to them, yeah. and they didn't do that. This is probably another thing that I think it's another myth that we've got to dispel as well, and and vets have got to get on board with this. I know that they're concerned and they've got to give the right advice about pathogens and everything when dogs are puppies because the risk is real. I'm going to say that. The risk is real. But the risk to your dog from not being socialized is far worse, far, far worse than the risk of getting a pathogen because more dogs will die every year in this country, the United States and every other country around the world from lack of socialisation over the risk of a pathogen. Yeah. I agree with you one hundred percent. And I am constantly getting in
0: trouble by people from people because when I get puppies, I take them straight out. now I don't take them to
1: don't take I'm, them to high risk areas. Yeah, be that's smart.
0: Right. But I take them I take like when I get you know, I had a puppy with me over the weekend. Yep. So, um young dog, too young to it, it couldn't be in a boarding kennel, too young to be vaccinated to do that. Yeah. Legally to be in a boarding kennel. Yeah, it's gotta be over sixteen weeks. Too young for that, so stayed with me for the weekend. now that dog go went literally everywhere I went, the dog mm. came, but I didn't go anywhere that was going to be problematic to the dog. So we go, like I went to shopping centers, it comes right. Like, and it, it like always happens when I have puppies they basically live in my car yeah that whatever I go they get out they come around with me they go back in the car I do my business there we go to the next place they get out they go around and that's like how I socialize the shit out of dogs and that's why dogs with me are always very environmentally stable and social because they just get overwhelmed with it at a young age when they don't care about anything anyway mm. you know because I've had this argument not argument but I've Talked about this with my sister, who, when she was a vet nurse, and she was like, "Yeah," but as a dog trainer, you see people who are constantly worried about their interactions with other dogs because of that one, that that outlier. That I've used that word a thousand times in this episode, but that. A problematic experience with another dog mm. because, as vets and vet nurses, we see the parvo cases. Yeah, they do. So that's their their perception is that it's probably more prevalent than maybe it is because how, how much of it they see, and so and and that's where their interest and and concern lies. Is I'm worried about that because that's where my sphere of influence is. That's where I can I can motivate people to not get that. That's what I'm in control of. Yeah, they have to. But they are. I, I would argue, and I know you agree that. The risk is so low compared to the risk of a psychological problem.
1: Mm. If anyone, I have seen statistics of that. I haven't got them, but I have seen statistics of that about 15 years ago when I was in Melbourne. Mm-hmm. It was shown to me confidentially, so I'm not going to reveal my source. But it was shown to me confidentially the the magnitude of um, death through inactive social activities. Mm-hmm as opposed to a risk of pathogens or um, trauma. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, one, uh, the the risk of, of death through social inactivity was staggering. Yeah, yeah. It was just staggering. It's not even comparable. So, well, it is comparable, but it's comparable. It's like comparing uh, a flat to the Burj Khalifa, the highest building in, in the UAE. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the difference between the two of them. I mean, One you're talking about very small scale. One you're talking an enormous... I mean, it's just so preventable. It's just so preventable. But there's still advice that's been given like don't take your puppies anywhere until they're 16 weeks of age. And we've talked on this topic before in this episode, and it begs to be raised again and again and again so the message gets out there. This is a good message that needs to be portrayed. 16 weeks of age is the end of the critical period socialization window. Mm -hmm. Once you have bypassed that, Anything that happens outside there, it's too late. Mm-hmm. If your dog is fearful and it's and it's never met other dogs, it's never had those good interactions before, you've lost it. Yeah. And that that's why we do have such a social issue because the advice is don't take your dogs until anywhere until they're 16 weeks of age. Yeah. What I'm suggesting, okay, and this is a suggestion, not a I'm not telling you to do it, I'm just suggesting, is take your dogs out but be smart about where you take them. Yeah. Okay. Ring up local vets in the area if you're worried about Parvo and find out if there's a spread of Parvo. Find yep. out if there's if there's a risk of disease in the local area and don't go there. You know, ring around until you find out that there is – look on forums. People put posts up about if there's Parvo outbreaks in the area. Don't take puppies to dog parks straight away. Yeah. Okay. Take them to um, – definitely. I mean, people say to me, "What's the what's the benefit of a puppy class? socialization. 100%. That's it. Yeah. Okay. So you, you might learn a couple of rudimentary skills, but the real advantage to going to a good puppy school is yep. that you're going there for a social interaction in the environment. Please do that. You know, when you get a puppy from 10 weeks of age, I usually say to people, if you've picked your puppy up at about eight weeks, let your puppy settle in at home. Let it learn about the home environment first. Let it bond with you. Mm-hmm. Let it... Um, let, learn about your house, your backyard, your front yard, all of those sort of things, any other animals that you have in your vicinity, let your dog establish a little bit of a network there first. Then from there on in, 10 weeks of age, find yourself a reputable puppy trainer, and I mean reputable, not some dope who wants to do the class but has no business being yeah. there. I know I'm hard on that, but I'm going to be hard on that for the rest of my life. Yeah, People, young kids who who want to train puppies and have no place doing it, Don't have them doing it. If you're a business owner, don't employ the wrong person. Please don't employ the wrong person to do a puppy school. It's far too important to have the wrong type of person doing that. Mm -hmm. You are highly irresponsible and I am scorning you if you do those type of things. (laughs) You you seriously will. You'll damage the shit out of your dog having the wrong type of person in there who doesn't know how to manage good interactions between puppies and also induce other environmental stimuli that puppies need at that point in time. See, when I just, um, some of the Frenchie puppies that we just um, um, had homes for, people were coming back to me saying, oh my God, I can't believe how confident these pups were. Like when I took them to puppy school, one of the people came back and said, all the other pups were shaking. They wouldn't leave their own side. The puppy we got from you was running around. It was, you know, like playing with the toys It wanted to go up to the other dogs. And the other dogs were cagey and a bit um, dubious about doing that, but. I mean, my puppies met Randy. My puppies were playing out in the backyard. My puppies were playing in the shed. Yeah, You know, like we were throwing the can curtain down in front of them. They're all running around. I've got videos of them chasing it and interacting with it. Um, they're out in the backyard. They're hearing dogs barking the whole time. But I've got the ability to do that. I know I've got the ability to do that and the ex- experience and the expertise to do that Yeah. where other people are dubious about it and then they get that information on top of it, don't take your puppies out yeah. because of the risk that they will die. Well, I mean, that will happen to us as human beings as well. I mean, one of the worst things for us is not getting out there and having social interactions. That's why kids go to kindergarten. That's why kids go to prep. That's why yeah. they go to primary school. You know, well, a lot and of it is- that's a-,
0: that's a good parallel. Like I often talk about that. So there, there's things that- Being out socializing will teach the dog that you can't teach yourself. And say, like, that's when you say kindy as well. Like, I said that when when my kid went to preschool, they can teach him things that we can't, like how to line up. Yep. Just like things that it's impossible for me to teach my kid how to line up at home alone. We can't do that, right? He
1: hasn't got other kids to do it with. so you need- He doesn't understand how it works. There's
0: things you need that you can't do it yourself. You Mm. need the environment to actually teach an environmental skill. Yep.
1: Well, part of being a parent or a dog owner is having the ability to make those good choices. Yeah. To say to yourself, this is what my kid or my dog needs to do. Yeah. Not doing this would be harmful to their overall learning capabilities and experiences. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, I reckon that, that went we've- that went all
1: around the world, didn't it? It did. But
0: yeah. I like I I've just felt it was important, I, you know, after listening to our last one back to myself, I wanted to present the other side of the coin because it's not always like that and I just wanted to get that like it, like I say I used to find it a little bit disheartening to hear people say never take your dog to these places because of the experiences they've had and if you don't have the option but to do that, then what do you do? You're fucked, right? And yep. control it. Up situations. Uh, one thing I'll just mention on the puppies as well is I feel like puppies do need exposure to good safe dogs and getting to know people who have good safe dogs. And if you're a dog trainer trying to have one yourself, like I know Randy's really good with puppies and Valerie, she raises puppies. She's awesome at it. Mm. And I often, I offer her to people when people get puppies. I'm like, Hey, if you want a good safe dog, she will, she will correct the dog that bites her too much. She won't engage too much with it. She's more interested in what she's got going on. Cause she's not, like wants to play with it, but she's a perfect dog to have around another dog because she will show them dog stuff that yeah. I can't teach. Right. But be careful because in that critical window, like a bad experience with a dog can fucking ruin a dog forever. Right.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. But anyway,
0: I think we've got that across. All right. Well, let's wrap it up. Yeah, we, let's we, wrap it up. That's it for our two part socialization mm. episode, of social responsibility, both sides of the coin, I think. And we're back to like an interview next week, right? A pretty exciting one.
1: Yes. Yes. I believe at this stage we have... No, I don't think it's next week. It's the week after. Is it? Yeah, it's the 22nd. Ah, okay. So on the 22nd, we're interviewing Mr. Michael Ellis. Yeah, that's pretty exciting. That's that is very cool. exciting. And I appreciate cool. that he's making some time to yeah
0: get on our show. That's awesome. Mm. And this weekend, if you're in Sydney, Hunter uh, on. Come and say hello. Let's with some hanging out. Yeah. would be good. I've got a working spot. My dog's going to get out and see what happens. Awesome. <laughs> He's, uh, we'll see what happens. All right. That's it for another episode of the Canon Paradigm. As always, if you want to get in contact with us, you can do that through Facebook. be great if you could like, rate, share, subscribe. And if you want to support the show, the best way to do that is to jump onto Patreon. At Patreon there, you can pledge to shoot us a few bucks a month. That'd be great. And then that'll give you access to special Patreon-only
1: content. Oh, man. I just thought of something i wanted to talk about quickly what is it (laughs) when i was thinking about the patreon thing i was thinking with this patreon we can start expanding and doing all these sort of exciting things Mm -hmm. so i actually started looking at soundproof booths oh yeah and i'm thinking which would be great because (laughs) they won't get all the noise and background which triggers me and gets me upset about
0: no one cares that i know
1: i do though but and I was getting all excited and I'm looking at them I'm thinking, you know, I'm looking at these great ones that are available in the US and I'm looking at price and it's like 20 grand US. <laughs> I'm thinking, <laughs> fuck. And then I'm thinking, surely there's got to be something in Australia, you know, that's pretty pretty easy to DIY or whatever. Yep. And then uh, I find tents. <laughs> <laughs> like in America, they've got these awesome things called whisper rooms and stuff yeah, like that, which you yeah. can they flat pack and you can build it in your house and stuff like that. In Australia, you've got a soundproof tent. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you, Australia, and your shitty soundproof rooms.
0: There's, there's no soundproof rooms. Not we don't need a soundproof room. Fucking. Um.
1: I actually had my my paranoia put to rest the other day because somebody sent in a message saying that. The, As the best sound on the any, best podcast, sound on they've any podcast they've listened to. So I really appreciate that because I yeah. do go to a lot of effort and <laughs> um, and work to try and make sure that that, All right, that well, we do get good quality sound.
0: If you want to be a part owner in our tent, um, <laughs> jump onto <laughs> Patreon and shoot us three bucks. Mm. Other than that, that's it. Glenn, <laughs> Music. <laughs>